Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. So first question today, I'm a senior who's planning to apply this upcoming cycle and, and have had a pretty stable cumulative science GPA around a 3.5 and a wavy trend for my semester GPA between a 3.4 and 4.0. However, my semester GPA dropped significantly to 2.4 fall of 2019 while I was grieving the deaths of multiple close family members. Ever since, I've been performing well in my courses with a majority of A's and a few B's and B pluses. But I worry that this isn't enough time to show an upward trend. How many credits or semesters do you recommend? Mm. Wow. Um, well, it sounds like the way <clears throat> that this student describes it to me, it sounds like there was just one semester with a, a dip and it's been fairly stable um, uh, aside from that. And so in, if that's the case, if you see just one dip, the, what an admissions committee is going to want to know is what happened with that, you know, what, what, what went on that semester. And so I don't necessarily think unless that semester was like recent, like super recent, like this past semester and you bottomed out, then it, it will take a couple of additional semesters. So if, if this student is applying this year um, or wanting, w wondering whether to apply this year or not, then, um, then they really only have the one semester this spring to, to bring that, to show that that was just a dip and not a trend of, of, of any sort. So, and, and I think with a lot of explanation as to what was going on and why that semester happened the way it did and everything, um, you know, obviously that's going to be necessary. Uh, but um, it sounds to me like um, if, if you recover this semester, I would, I, I'd go ahead and apply this year um, and, and, you know, kind of see what happens. And you, then you're, it, then if you have to reapply the following year, then you've got two more, two additional semesters under your belt um, for that, you know, to show that trend. Yeah, I agree. Right. Fall 2019, that's three-ish semesters ago or so. Yeah, yeah. A's, mostly A's since then. So oh, it does say like, fall 19. Yeah. So yeah, I think she's be fine. Yeah, yeah. Sounds, sounds like I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be too worried about that. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> The um, I love right University of Illinois, who who I had their director of admissions on a couple of years ago. Now at this point, they had the ability to cancel out like a whole year's worth of bad grades. Mm. It's almost like when you're looking at at averages and stuff like that, you throw out the the high ones, you throw out the and low the low ones, ones right? And you, and you get the that kind of good number. Uh, do you are you familiar with any other schools? Obviously, you're you're most familiar with Texas schools that right. do have the potential to do something similar. Yeah, basically, you know the the way it works in an admissions committee is that an admissions committee can can basically do whatever they want to do. They can, if they want to, 
you know, throw out a semester and recalculate the GPA or if they want to uh, accommodate that in whatever their scoring structure is, then, the, then, then they can do that. They have, a, they have a wide latitude to do whatever they want to do. And, and I've seen that happen before where, where a circumstance happened and, and, and an admissions committee you know, basically wanted to compensate for that circumstance. So, uh, you know, circumstantial things that might happen would be a good example. Another example might be um, a varsity athlete or a, um, you know, military um, uh, institution, a, a military like, like the uh, Naval Academy or the Air Force Academy, where these cadets have lots and lots of commitments and stuff and there's not a whole lot of you know wiggle room in, in terms of time i've seen admissions committees before where they're not going to just just uh cover everybody that went to that institution or that had a, a similar circumstance but they might say on this particular student because of what we see in the application we're gonna we're gonna make an alteration of their application to uh, give them credit in our in whatever our system is to make to make them to compensate for the, whatever the occurrence was and so so it, you know I I would say um, that kind of thing is not unusual where where schools are making you know choices to do whatever they want to do because they like an applicant most of the most of the admissions committees are very focused on doing things especially these days doing things in a legally defensible way. And so they're real careful to make sure that anything that they do has a, a, a good paper trail, has a good uh, degree of uh, justification to it, and, and that they treat everyone with a similar circumstance uh, the same way. Yeah. I, I, I don't think we talk about that enough, um, unfortunately, right, that we have to talk about it at all, yeah. that medical schools from a legal standpoint are trying to make sure they're doing everything kind of above the board so that yep. if there's an issue next year and the student doesn't get in and, and mommy happens to right. be a, a powerful lawyer, um, that the school doesn't get in trouble for arbitrarily uh, pushing up someone up the admission right. chain. So, and that could be, you know, that could be for anything. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that they're very cognizant of that. Most admissions committees have a lot of uh, uh, tutorials from their uh, from their legal staff and uh, really try to do things in, a, in an up and up way. So, yep. All right. Next question coming up here. Very common one uh, and actually kind of interesting because I just had a, a kind of post back director on uh, on my pre-med years podcast today. Uh, the question is indications that a student needs a post back before applying after this upcoming spring semester. My projected science GPA is a 3.3 and an overall 3.53, which makes me think that it might be better to do a post back and hold off applying until 2022. Hmm. And this, this goes into, I need to see the graphs, right? Th those yeah. final numbers yeah. don't tell me anything. I need the graphs. I need the trends. What does that look yeah. like? Yeah. Yeah. Is this like a student who the previous question, right, had this 2-4 freshman year and then has done well, but their overall isn't great still? This is the same right. student. She added that as a follow-up. Oh, so. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So they had a 3-5. Okay. So they had a 3-5, dipped down to that 2-4. 
and now have climbed back up to the three 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 five three. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I, I agree completely with you, Ryan. I think that this requires a little bit more information to, to make a judgment uh, on it. I, I definitely think that uh, a pushback wouldn't harm a student like this, but I, I'd want to see more about the trend, what the trend lines look like. Yeah, and and it, we're hoping that this kind of feedback can get into Mapped. We don't have those specific details dialed in to be able to give feedback on on those GPA trends yet, but they're coming. They're they're coming soon. I just talked to the right. team about needing these extra variables so that we can give feedback like this. Yeah, so. exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so so more information needed. Maybe a a good uh, am I ready guest if we mm -hmm. relation anytime soon. Yeah, yeah, that that that'd be really good. Yeah. Uh, interesting question here from this student: Is it a conflict of interest or a disadvantage to uh, apply to a medical school at a hospital they've been hospitalized at numerous times, or is followed at for a chronic condition? And and I I want to point out right, this is a very common confusion that students have. The hospital is not the medical school. Right. The medical school is not the hospital. They're separate right. institutions right. that happen to share an agreement with that medical students can go there yep. and rotate. Yep. So Yeah, exactly. And 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 it would not be so for that. So the way I'm reading this and, and my, my feeling about it is that for 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 a student like this, it would not be an conflict of interest or disadvantage it would be illegal for the uh for the admissions committee to even know anything about their medical history yeah. that they have no <laughs> you mean you mean the the admission software that they use to screen isn't tied into the emr in the hospital nope <laughs> thank god right <laughs> yeah. no and so my guess is that unless it's a really small hospital um, then my guess is that the, the committee is no, not going to have any clue uh, that there's anything going on. <clears throat> so I, I, I don't think that this, this questioner really should have no concerns at all about that. I agree. Good one, good one. Interesting one. But it, it's very common. I, I'm going to hide yeah. the question. It's, it's very common, especially with, with either interview answers why do you want to come to this school or secondary right. answers essays about why are you interested in a school students spend a lot of time focusing on the hospital Maybe yeah that's not the school focus yeah. on the school yeah what does the school have that you want not yep. that the orthopedic department is awesome yeah yeah that's right <sighs> of course it's right scott i'm always right oh yeah i forgot <laughs> I thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken. Uh, <laughs> that is a terrible dad joke, by the way. It's a, so best dad joke ever. Uh, <laughs> I hope you had a happy new year. We did. Thank you. Post back mm -hmm. student here. I have a question regarding my GPA. Map shows that I currently have a 3-1 cumulative GPA for AMCAS and a 3-2-3 science GPA with a strong upward trend. I'm now finished with all my prereqs. Should I plan to take more upper division courses to raise that? Should I focus on the MCAT? I also work uh, a full-time career position as a postback student. Mm. Right, it's one of those, right? What's the trends yeah. look like? It's yeah. So hard. 
Yeah. I mean, my guess is that, um, I mean, I would say at this point, if the, if there's not a pretty, pretty significant trend upward trend here, if it's pretty flat, uh, then I would just say, yes, absolutely. Uh, more courses are necessary. Now, the concerning thing here to me is that this is a postback student. And if they're already in a postback program uh, and they're performing at a 3 1 level, uh, that concerns me. Um, yeah. That, and that's the question, right? What does the trend look like? They may yeah. be for, performing at a 4 0 level, but their cumulative is just a 3 1. Yeah. Right. That's that's their overall. Yeah, I'd want to see definitely. Point. I'd want to see the trend line uh, because if 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 the if the trend it, particularly what the postback GPA is in and of itself that that's yeah. what I that's what I want to know. And so, so if if this person can email in and say what you know tell us what is your postback GPA that'd be very helpful in answering this question. Yeah, I I think even if we could while we're on live here like take a screenshot of yeah. your graph or, or of the table of your mm -hmm. GPA details. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we can share it and, and kind of break that down a little bit. more. Yeah. That'd be really helpful to answer that question. Yeah. I think those will help. All right. <clears throat> so I've seen a lot of medical schools prefer that students take some sort of English or writing intensive class during undergrad or that they have strong skills in reading comprehension. Would it be wise to claim credit for AP English literature and composition in order to fulfill my university's core English requirement, or should I actually take an English class to meet the class requirements that med schools ask for? I think if there's any course that it's totally fine to take AP credit for, it's English. Um, I, I don't think many medical schools, in my opinion, many medical schools that English requirement is sort of a holdover from past years, from decades ago, and they just never have, you know, removed it or whatever. Yes, they want to see that you have, you know, writing skills, and they want to see because what 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 is shown in writing skills is critical thinking uh, and uh, the ability to communicate because uh, you're going to be communicating as a physician through writing a lot. And so um, you're going to have to, you know, have some skills to, to, to show. And Ryan, you can really address this more than I could, but um, just to show that you can communicate and, and get across what you're wanting to get across in, in written format. <clears throat> and so, but that doesn't have anything to do with a literature class, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. I agree. And, and I'm hoping, right, I'm, I'm hoping with COVID, I was having this conversation earlier with the director of admissions at a medical school. I'm hoping with COVID that schools reevaluate all of their processes. Absolutely. And go, yeah. is this really required or is this just some random preference that we've had forever? Can we yeah. get rid of it? Who yeah. are we hurting by having this stupid rule here? Yeah. Um, to hopefully level the playing field. Because so. I think, you know, honestly, I think some of the, you know, a lot of a lot of schools, undergraduate schools have a rotting across the curriculum sort of idea. And 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 there's other classes. They might take a history class or an anthropology class that's a writing intensive class that's going to be much more beneficial in terms of, you know, the sort of um 
communication uh, abilities than than would be a freshman level lit class or something like that. So, you know, I, I like the idea of a writing requirement, but I, I think in terms of this particular question, the AP credit for English, I'd go for the AP credit and you know, move on. Yeah, and, and the one the one asterisk on that is check the MSAR to see if the school mm -hmm. accepted the AP credit AP credit. For yep, the, for the prereq. Yep. And a lot of schools that won't generally accept AP credit for uh, like science courses and stuff, the English is the one thing that they will say that's okay. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of those here in Texas that are like that's that. That's so generous of them. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> oh, man. Um, if you've completed an SMP, will an undergraduate gpa still take priority and or get your application filtered before viewing the improved smp gpa no i don't think so um i th i think when they see when when generally when admissions committees see a graduate program uh smp or even just post undergrad postback classes and see that distinct postback GPA. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna notice that and are gonna give credit for that. That's another example of where a medical school may may well compensate in their process for. So, for example, I, I know what we used to do in, in our system of uh, we had a somewhat formulaic system. There was a formula that helped us sort of rank students, although it was really a lot more. Um, a lot more holistic than just that. But um, what we would do is, is if we saw the formula, we would replace often the, the, the um, post-bac GPA would replace the undergraduate GPA. And then we, so we would essentially be just saying, we're, we're going to ignore the, the undergrad GPA and just use this postback GPA as what we're going to use for the process. And so, so I, I, in, in terms of this question, definitely, I, I think you're, you're not to worry about that. They're going to see the GPA. They're going to see that SMP GPA and, 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 and act accordingly, you know, depending on what they want to do with your application. Yeah. How many semesters I love, I love, they're all, all around the same topic today. Uh, how many right. semesters or quarters of a do-it-yourself postback and units per quarter is needed to show successful academic performance? How do you explain a quarter of postback with two C's due to an illness yeah. that quarter? Yeah, this is a good question. And, and I think, um, I mean, basically, if you're doing a postback, even if it's a, a do-it-yourself postback, you're going to want full-time coursework, which, you know, semester system typically means at least 12 hours, uh, all sciences, um, you know, uh, and the way you explain a, an illness and a, and a substandard um, a GPA for a semester is you just, or a quarter, you just explain it. You just say, this is what happened. Uh, you know, I had whatever illness and I couldn't concentrate on, you know, whatever the story is, that's what you say. And that's then they'll make a decision based on what they want to do. The concern is going to be, of course, what happens if you get sick in med school and uh, yeah. are the wheels going to fall off? And uh, yeah. that's that's always the big concern is that the best predictor of past behavior, is, I mean, of future behavior is past behavior. And if you if, if this is the trend, you know, and 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 you 
you know, something happens, grandma dies or your favorite uncle, whatever happens to your favorite uncle or you get sick or whatever, um, you know, the concern is going to be what, you know, in, in med school, what's going to happen when grandma gets sick or when, you know, whatever happens, um, is, is this going to be what, what's going to happen again? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, um, there's a little bit of reading between the lines with that question that was asked because the questioner said, you know, how many credits do I need to show performance, but then mentioned that the two C's happened in the post back. Yeah. Right. So I guess, you know, I think that the question that they didn't ask that maybe needs to be stated is how many quarters of recovery. Yeah. Recovery are needed. Right. And like, does the clock start over again after those two C's, you know, I mean, I know cumulative isn't right, but like, so, so there, I think there's a little bit of extra reflection for this person who asked that question to think about, you know, what are you going to do to show future A's from here on out? Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, Admissions committees can be forgiving, but there's a limit to that. You know, they they will say, okay, we see, you know, undergrad looks like this, but post-bac looks like this, so we're going to be forgiving of the undergrad with the post-bac, or we're going to be forgiving of, you know, so there's, there's they're, they're all humans. They've been through life. They they know what's going on. They, they know that there's struggles and, and all of that. They're not pristine uh, people to by any means. I've had so many admissions committees in the past uh, admissions committee members tell me, wow, I, if I had been trying to get into med school now, I would never get in, <laughs> you know, because the every, you know, the applicants are so great. So, you know, these admissions committees that they're, they, they have people on them who, you know, they've been through tough times too often. And, uh, and so I think that, you know, they're, they're trying to do the best they can with what they have. And, and, but the forgiveness only goes a certain to a certain point and, and when they can't um, it, because you have to keep in mind, I think that it is a competitive process and there are lots of other applicants outside of you that don't have blips and, and don't have the two extra C's and post back or whatever. And so not to be discouraging, but I think it is going to require some recovery and the, the amount of recovery that might be required for that is, is, um, I'm not sure. I, I think it it would take getting a little bit more into the weeds to 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 answer more specifically about that. Yeah. Um. All right. Take the next question here. Where'd it go? Uh, oh, I scrolled way down. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> my my mouse just freaked out, and I just lost my place. We got a lot of great questions today. Yeah, there are. All right. Uh, as a 43-year-old non-traditional student, I'm curious how heavily high school transcripts and SAT scores play into trans- uh, applications. We'll stop there. They don't. Yeah. Uh, zero. On the, the Texas one, you have to put in your SAT scores, don't you? Yeah, you do. Uh, but, you know, we, we, I, you know, I think it's one of those holdovers. What they're trying to figure out is, is um, do you generally have struggles with standardized testing? So that is helpful. Yeah, if I, if if I can look at a at a uh, MCAT score that let's say it's a 502, and I look back at the SAT and 
the SAT is, and this is not generally admissions committee members. This would be the admissions officer because admissions committee members, you know, they often don't know what the scale is for SATs or ACTs. They don't, you know, the, but an admissions officer who looks at this all the time uh, will be able to see, okay, here's a, here's a, a, a substandard SAT score matched with an MCAT score that's, that's, you know, not great. So, this may well be a, a, a testing issue for for the students, and so we we may want to look beyond uh, this and kind of see what else is going on here that we could hang our hat on. Yeah, makes sense. Um, I want to pull up. Um, trying to get back here, I want to pull up the trend line so the students yeah. are able to give us trend lines. Let me pull that up real quick. Uh, here we go. So there's the trend lines. So she looks like she took a picture of her screen there. Yeah. And so you can see she said kind of the up and down. There's that. Uh, right. That's, that's a different one. That's So that was a very early on poor semester. Um, hopefully that was just a one class deal. Yeah. And there's kind of that fall 2019 <laughs> that she was talking about. I'm assuming that's what that is. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the, the concern I have about the, the, the green line um, is that the green line is all over the place in, yeah. in, this, in this picture. Even in the post-bac years, it's, it's kind of all over the place. And so my concern here is who is – who academically, who is this, this student? This one's not the post-bac, I don't think. I think this is the one – Oh no! This, this, I, this now I think this is the back, yeah, 13, yeah. yeah yeah yeah. Yep, so they're just all over the place, and so my concern here as an admissions committee member would be: who is the student academically? I I are they the four person, the three five person, or are they the two person? You know, I I I I would look at this picture and I would say, man, I I don't know what to do with this. Don't know what the so yeah yeah yep I agree yeah so. Well, what we need to see is an extension of that green line steady yeah. up as high as it can be, as close to a 4.0 as possible. Yeah, that's right. So a couple more semesters there, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's why the trend lines are important, right? Telling yep. you have a 3.1 and a 3.2.3, like that doesn't mean anything. What does it look yeah. like? Tell me what yeah. it looks like. Um, that's right. That's yeah. right. Okay. Bueno. That was good. Yeah, we should we should uh, ask for those pictures too. Yeah, that was very helpful. Yeah, very helpful. All right, I'll throw up the next question there. I'm all discombobulated. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what. Let's see. Oh, here's good. Thoughts on a letter of recommendation from a doctor for the 2021 application cycle. I planned on in-person shadowing starting in March, but then COVID hit. I only have virtual hours. Oh, so the, the question is, what are schools oh. going to do with their requirements for doctor? Yeah, and this is the, the, the conversation I was mentioning earlier with this director of admissions at a medical school was they, they're, they're like, what are we going to do? Because they were, they were talking to me about the e-shadowing, and they're like, we were looking at it, but we, like, we don't know what to do with it, and how are students going to get doctor letters? And I'm like, maybe you shouldn't ask for them anymore, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. At least for right now. I mean, what's, what, truly, right, thinking about it, what is, what is a doctor? Like, uh, this person is going to be a great doctor. You don't know that. <laughs> like, yeah. They, yeah. they just were a puppy dog to you for a couple of days, and then you wrote them a letter. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's It's... 
weird. Yeah, I, I I agree with that, and I think in this particular situation, I I I would avoid that letter. I, I unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be very meaningful in the process. And honestly, when you talk about letters of recommendation, it's a it's a it's a it's what I would call a, an inverted bell curve. It is most letters of recommendation are don't really help. Yep. And uh, there's some in the tales uh, that are so great. And it's clear that this person knows the applicant really well, that really are, are good and, and helpful. And then there's a very limited number on the other end of the spectrum where it's just like, oh, my gosh, why did this person ask this per this other person for a letter? Because this is a horrible letter. Um, so, and, and, but honestly, my experience has been letters, uh, you know, most of them are fine. And so what that just means is they're looking for outliers in, in the letters. And most letters don't have any outliers. Yeah. <clears throat> I agree. Yeah. So, so really to, to finalize that answer is it's going to be up to the schools on, on what they do to change their potential requirements for letters yeah. in the next year or so. Yeah. We will find out. Yep. I'm considering doing a post back formal full-time, which would count for graduate credit. Why? Not necessarily. Uh, but I don't know <sighs> if that is more or less valuable doing a do-it-yourself post back at my undergraduate university part-time how would you weigh the pros and cons of doing either of these again this question this is why i love the conversation i had today with uh dr june kim of of kgi um so i i want to just kind of clarify a formal post back program unless it's an smp is probably right. still undergraduate coursework Correct. not credit coursework Correct. So just yeah. a clarification there. Yeah, correct. That's exactly right. And, you know, honestly, I think if, if a student needs a postback, optimally it would be full time. Um, that that that's just going to be the best scenario. Now, now, some students can't do that. And I totally get it. And I, and I understand. Uh, but again, optimally, I think that um, uh, full time uh, coursework, all all uh, sciences, uh, and and I would say probably not at your undergraduate institution. Um, I think that the problem with doing a DIY, DIY at your undergraduate institution is if you were a biology major, you may you may easily run out of courses to take, and uh, you know so depending on the size of the institution and the and the the, the uh, how specific they get with with some of the classes, but I know some some schools, you know, you're, you're going to butt up against not not having any other classes to take, uh, and so that would be a real problem. So I would say optimally to answer this question, it would be a full time coursework, uh, post back, and not at a different institution. And just for those who who potentially are new to your language of optimal, break down those three categories. Yeah, so I like to think of things in terms of optimally. What what is the best case scenario? You know, if you if you had to lay everything off the table that are the well, I can't because of this or that or that or that or whatever. Optimally, what would this look like in in the perfect world? And then and then there's the acceptable level where. Yes, is it acceptable to go to my same undergraduate institution and do a, a 
DIY post back. Yes, obviously those courses are going to count. They're accredited. They're, you know, going to count toward toward uh, post back credits and stuff like that. And then so optimal, acceptable, and then there's unacceptable. So unacceptable in this particular situation would be, for example, uh, backing into a community college. Uh, that would not be helpful at all. Um, so I, I think it would be very difficult to make a case um, for for that. So in my view, that would be the unacceptable option for this student. So those are my three my three levels. Yeah. Cool. Ooh, along here. What are your thoughts on pre meds not being able to find a job within the medical field due to COVID nineteen? Also, how about not being able to do much during the gap year during those tough times? These tough times. Most people study for the MCAT during their gap years, and I have heard that admissions committees do not like to see people only studying for the MCAT during their gap years. Um, yeah, I think if you're taking a gap year just to study for the MCAT, that that uh, would be a little bit of a concern um, to me as a as a as an admissions officer or to an admissions committee member, because we're talking about lots of students out there who have tons of irons in the fire. And are doing great, you know, are doing well with with all that they have going on. And so, when you encounter a student who is basically shutting their life down to study for the MCAT, that can be a, a bit of a concern. Now, I don't think it's it, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a, a, a huge black ball to you, but I think it it could you know raise a, a, a red flag that says why why does this person need you know to strict because they're not going to have that in medical school. Uh, you're not going to have that kind of focus uh, when you get to uh, maybe, I mean, you have a little bit of it when you get to uh, USMLE and stuff like that. But even at that, it's not, it's not a long period of time. It's, you know, may, maybe a few weeks that you have to, to really focus in on it. So, um, so I would say, yeah, full time and uh, gap year um, doing only MCAT probably not great. Uh, I would want to see a lot of volunteer work or clinical activities. Uh, whether they're paid or not um, it is not important necessarily, but you know, if, 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 if it's, if it seems like you pretty much shut everything down, just study for the MCAT, I would say that would be probably not good. Yeah. And then kind of going back to the, the other questions there, again, super common question that students are struggling finding this stuff during COVID-19. Right. Everyone's in the same boat. Find what yeah. you can find and, and don't stress if you can't find it. Hopefully yeah. we're yeah. getting out of this soon. And I do think more and more I find students who it's a little bit easier to find paid jobs than it is to find volunteer stuff. And uh, so, you know, look for, look for a paid CNA or, you know, some sort of tech job or whatever. And, uh, that, that can, I think that's maybe a little bit easier to find. Yeah. All right. Mm. May I please know what students should provide their letter of recommendation writer so that they can write the best possible advocacy letter for their application. Yeah. That's a good answer for this one. Yeah. Go for it what they ask for <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, a lot of a lot of students delay asking for a letter of recommendation until they finish their their personal statement until they finish this until they finish that like just ask 
and then what do you want to say yeah yeah Yeah. and and they'll they'll tell you what they want i think if it's someone new who doesn't know how to write a letter the one thing that i definitely recommend is the double amc has their letter uh their mm-hmm. letter writer guidelines and yeah. if you just google double amc lor mm-hmm. guidelines mm-hmm. um that's a good kind of base level of of what the letter writer should be thinking about when they're writing their their letter of recommendation yeah. um, and it's it's a pretty that, good it's yeah. a pretty good guideline the the double yeah, amc yeah. documents pretty it's pretty yeah. good i've been really impressed good that they put out. yeah absolutely yeah. And, they, and it's I, free yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow crazy from the Bible, really? <laughs> um, I've written many a letter of recommendation for med school applicants over the years because so for, for so long I was managing MCAT tutors. So I, I was a supervisor of a lot of people on their gap years. Um, and, you know, usually if the person knows you well enough to write the letter, they don't need anything. Right. Sometimes I would ask for the resume just so I could put my knowledge of them as an MCAT tutor into context into their bigger life, because often I knew them really well as a tutor and didn't actually know a lot outside of that. Right. Um, so sometimes the resume was helpful. If MAPT had existed back then, I would have loved to have been able to see, you know, get the advisor read-only view of MAP. That would have been really helpful too. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that seems really small but burned me and some of my beloved recommendees more than once is the fact that you can't e-sign a letter of rec. Mm-hmm. So as you're sending that AMC guideline or whatever, I think you should always put a single little line that's like just a yeah. friendly reminder. But see, they want to see you hand sign this letter. That's one of those holdovers that I think yeah. we should be fighting it. And, and we, yes, I, yeah. I literally mean we because I want these features built into mapped where a letter of recommendation writer can go and change something in their letter electronically without yes. needing to reprint. Like these are old crazy right. white guys that are writing these letters who don't know even how to use a computer for the most part. Uh-huh. And you want them wow. to, to write this thing. <laughs> exaggerating i'm writing the letters i know how to use a computer (laughs) no but i agree with you it's a ridiculous rule sign it and scan it and upload it and it's just all these steps like hello it's 2021 people um and so okay right so i i concede ryan's point it's a ridiculous rule that we should fight and we will fight it and in the meantime this year if you're asking for a letter in the next month or two which you should be if you want it in may you want to tell them you want it in april um (laughs) it's always okay to fudge a little on that (laughs) give yourself cushion um then then this year tell them to sign it with ink blue ink so that it's clear it's a hand signature it seems so lame but i've e-signed just out of habit because i e-sign i mean ryan and i just got married with a tech company last week and we both e-signed um married just to speak for partnering ryan and i did not get married (laughs) Um, (laughs) since one of us is already married (laughs) um but uh yeah we we e-signed that so i e-sign everything but for some reason there are a lot of um committees that just won't accept that yeah it's not the committees. It's mainly the app services um, where they're. I've really... had undergrad committees refer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I that haven't had a med school of... committee yeah. mind, that, but I've had an com- undergrad committee mind. Yeah, that that comes out of the uh, that comes out of the app services and uh, and uh, so, but yeah, and just just to clarify, Ryan, I am a crusty old white guy, so just back <laughs> off, okay? 
<laughs> I wasn't pointing fingers, but said it, not me. Uh, that's always my exaggeration for like, we need some fresh blood. Um, right, right. All right. Hello, I'm a fourth year at UC Berkeley with a steady 2.9 GPA, and I am planning to take two gap years. I want to gain research experience by working in a lab, but my pre-med advisor wants me to do a post-bac or master's to raise my GPA. Good advice. Mm -hmm. What factors should I consider when deciding what to do during my gap years? I, I think it's pretty straightforward there. Yeah, you need a post-bac. Definitely. I mean, with a 2.9... Yeah, I mean, getting research experience is not going to help you uh, get to where you want to go if you if you've got a two nine undergrad GPA. Um, I think that research experience is great, and if you if you like research and you really want to do research in, in, as a part of your future, then absolutely, you know, get involved with research while you're doing the while you're doing a postback program would be advisable. But you know. Research doesn't address the, the, the issue in your application. The issue is, uh, can you go to school and do school well? That's, that's the key that's going to be questioned. Step, step one for me is a lot of self-reflection, right? Mm -hmm. A steady Why is this? tells me you either don't care, you're not trying, or you're trying really hard but not succeeding. There, there's lots of questions there Yeah. on if this is what you want to do and you maybe, maybe you don't know that you need really good grades to get into medical school. Well, now, you know, yeah. um, I think there's some self-reflection before you jump into more classes and make the same mistakes right. to do that deep reflection and figure out how and why. Um, yeah. you've been getting poor grades and, and how you're going to move forward getting good grades. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing about um, level of informed, right? So, so to the question asker, no, no shame, because maybe, you know, for every question that's asked, there's usually dozens of people thinking the same thing. But yeah, your word choice of steady 2.9 seems to indicate maybe a lack of understanding of how competitive grades need to be for to be yeah. a, a competitive applicant. And yeah. then also your question about wanting to spend a year or two in the lab, which, um, as Scott said, can be great, but it, you know, it makes me wonder, well, do you already have thousands and thousands of hours of clinical experience? Because if you've got two years to spend working, I would wonder why you're choosing a lab over something where you would get more clinical experience. Uh, so yeah. it, th this might be a student who just needs to really get caught up on the pre-med process and the expectations. Right. Yeah, I agree. Pre-med years podcast. Go put it in your earbuds. Yeah. Yes. Do that. Put them in your ear holes, as we like to say. I am <laughs> um, currently working in a COVID unit as a CNA full-time, racking up 160 hours a month. I plan Ooh. on applying in 2022 for 2023 class. If I work for six months until mid-2021, thousands of clinical hours, would that be sufficient for medical school? Great question. I love yeah, that. Yeah. It won't be, quote, consistent with working uh, until I apply, but I plan on stopping that clinical work when I start studying for the MCAT. All right. Another, I'm going to focus on the MCAT uh, question. Yeah. 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 I mean, I love the, I love the amount of clinical hours. Uh, definitely. Uh, that's going to be really in your favor and stuff. I, I guess I'm wondering why, why you need to stop working. Is it, it, to me, it'd be better if you could just go part-time in your work and work part-time and then do MCAT part-time. 
uh, that would look a lot better. And this kind of goes back to the previous question about, you know, shutting everything down to study for the MCAT. Um, so, um, I, I definitely say if it's, if it's an, if it's possible to go just to part-time work, that would be a, a better solution in my view. Yeah. And, and just to clarify, right. The, the number of hours is plenty at this point, right? You, oh yeah. You have oh yeah. Plenty of hours. Oh, but yeah. stopping cold turkey to focus on the MCAT is going to raise a lot of questions you don't want to yeah. raise. Yeah. Are you burned out of clinical work? Like, are yeah. you questioning if this is what you want to do? Are you treating it like a checklist and going, okay, I got my thousands of hours. I'm done. I'm good. That's just, it, it's a different kind of perspective that medical schools just don't want to see in a student. And so going part-time it's not to get more hours. It's to, to show like, Hey, I'm still doing this. I can juggle lots of things like studying for the MCAT and, and working and all this other stuff. And, and so it, it's, again, I think students focus so much on total hours. Okay. I'm done. And then they hear the feedback. No, keep going. And they go, Oh, so I just need more hours. No, you don't yeah. need more hours. You need to show these other things um, yeah. to, to not raise these questions. Yeah. Yeah. I agreed. Ooh, all right. Lots of good questions tonight. Yeah. Uh, I have a 3.5 GPA in undergrad and decided to do a master's program to get some more experience and see if med school was the route I wanted to go down. I chose to do a master's program in the UK, hmm. not knowing that the MCAS doesn't accept foreign transcripts. That's not completely true. Uh, right. My UK <clears throat> grades converted into the US GPS, GPA scale would be a 4.0, but will I get any academic improvement value for the master's program? I can talk extensively about the research I did in the program, but I was hoping to show a bit more of an academic improvement mm, yeah. the program. Well, yeah, that's this is a tough question. And, and I, unfortunately, I think that the impact is not going to be as great as it would have been with uh, going to a school in the U.S. Um, now, having said that, you really don't have, you know, you're, we're, we're talking about something that's already occurred, so there's really not anything you can do about it. So, you know, I think that um, now is just the time to really talk about, talk, talk up your research experience and talk up, you know, the, 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 the conversion that you did really well at the, the um, getting some good recommendation letters out of the UK experience would be helpful in that regard. Um, and their undergraduate GPA wasn't terrible to begin with, right? They're right. Five. Right. Right. So that's not going to completely burn them. Uh, yeah, I would suspect you're going to be okay. I, I mean, I don't. They're not going to look at it and say, "Oh, UK. Well, that doesn't mean anything." <laughs> you know, they're they're going to try. They're going to have to investigate a little bit further. That's the job of the admissions officer to prepare that um when when the application is being presented to the entire committee the admissions officer is there to give background about what's the situation here and why is this uh you know what is the conversion from this uk situation to the to, to a U, u.s uh scale and stuff and and to kind of give give background information and stuff like that so a good admissions officer will kind of prepare the way for that yeah uh, and then, Ryan, you touched on this briefly, but just to circle back, uh, the person either misunderstood or misused the word about transcripts. Mm -hmm. um, they, the AMCAS definitely accepts foreign mm -hmm. transcripts. Um, mm -hmm. 
my my quick advice, because it's crazy nuanced, is go reread the AMCAS handbook for 2021, since the 2022 is not out yet. Um, but what it says more or less is we want to see transcript from every single school you ever attended. Yeah. And you have to request an exception if for some reason you can't get one. But it does have stricter rules about U.S. and Canada than it does about international. Yeah, right. So the, the international right. ones, as far as I can remember off the top of my head, is if you transferred those international credits into a U.S. institution for credit towards your degree, then we need those transcripts. And so because the whole degree was done over there, they're, they're probably not required. Right. Um, it doesn't mean they can't put them in. It just means they're not required. Right. Right. So they, they may need to go through uh, some some uh, some of the application services. They have to go through a verification process. Right. There are third party uh, transcript verification companies out there that can verify that information mm -hmm. for AMCAS. Yeah, and then it gets more complicated because we've got a few of these currently in MAPT. Um, if your foreign school, if your international school was actually a medical school, um, then it's it's even stricter. So, right. um, you know, we could spend an hour on it. So, yeah, what I'm going to say is oh, just, the, yeah, the AMCAS handbook doesn't change that much year to year. Go read the one that's out right now, and that's going to be your best resource until the next one comes out. Yeah. I try to read it every year. Especially if it's some, if it's you know, if it's from some no-name UK institution like what Cambridge or or Oxford, Oxford yeah, or, I'm gonna guess know, that one's okay. Gelf, I, I mean, <laughs> who's ever even heard of these places? Yeah, <laughs> they just spell everything wrong anyway. Right, put a uh, U in there where it doesn't even need to have one. Slash S for sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, we are nearing to the end of our hour. Uh, this has been an exciting week. I feel like I always say that May seems a lot closer on January 4th than it does on December 31st, even though that's only five days different. Um, and, and here we are. I can tell the pressure's up. People are feeling excited. People are feeling like they want to really dive deep. We did not get to all the questions today. Um, yeah. Not the ones asked live and not all the ones that were pre-asked. So, um, yeah. Keep coming every week. Keep asking. We'll we'll do our best to get to you all in time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you everyone for coming. Uh, yeah. We have lots of fun stuff coming up for Maps, so thank you for being a part of it. And hopefully, we're we're helping you on your journey to medical school. We'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.